Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. The news this week from Statistics Canada was grim, but not unexpected. Women account for two-thirds of the 500,000 jobs lost this past year, and the longer we are out, the harder it will be to recover those jobs. It is clear that women will need to lead the charge so that Canada will have a full economic recovery. Thankfully, this week, I have lots of positive role models to share who are moving forward fearlessly and affecting real change on everything from homelessness to house cleaning to immigration. You won't want to miss a single interview this week, starting with the New Leaf Project, the world's first direct cash transfer program and study of its size to help those who are recently homeless. The results have been groundbreaking and are paving the way for a new approach in addressing Canada's most pressing social issues. Claire Elizabeth Williams is the driving force behind the New Leaf Project and joins me today to share why we need to let go of a lot of myths and misconceptions about helping people who are homeless. Over one million women across Canada are self-employed, and during this pandemic, it's been an ongoing challenge to stay inspired. Enter Vivian Kay, founder of Kinky Curly Yaki, a premium textured hair extension brand for black women that she bootstrapped to over $6 million in revenue, and of a successful wedding decor company. Vivian also helps entrepreneurs from diverse and unconventional backgrounds use their awesomeness and unique capabilities to confidently build the businesses of their dreams. And Brody has entertainment for days for us with Barry Jenkins' long-anticipated 10-episode series, The Underground Railroad, based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Colson Whitehead, showing now on Amazon Prime. The deeply unsettling and excellent fact-based profile, which follows an undercover journalist investigating ISIS recruitment strategies designed to lure non-Muslim white women to the Middle East. And Jean Smart is back in a new series called Hacks. If you feel like your house is always messy despite having all the time in the world in it, you're not alone. Melissa Maker, the host of Clean My Space YouTube channel, founder of Clean My Space, a housekeeping service, and best-selling author of Clean My Space, the secret to cleaning better, faster, and loving your home every day, joins me with tips to keep your space clean without losing your mind. Much has been said about work-life balance during COVID, but the focus is mostly on individual effort, leaving parents, mostly mothers, to feel it is up to them to figure out how to manage the impossible demands of doing their jobs, homeschooling, parenting, and managing the home. Anita Grace, together with her research partner, Linda Duxbury, is engaged in an ongoing research project about work family balance during COVID, studying how Gen Xers are managing the competing demands of jobs and parenting. Anita joins me to share some of their findings so far. Finally, moving to a new country where you aren't yet familiar with the language, the customs, or the culture can be an anxiety-inducing experience. Doing all that under the umbrella of a global pandemic is especially scary. Anila Li Yen is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Center for Newcomers and is here today to share some of the biggest challenges COVID has presented for new immigrants to Canada. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. look across all the events happening in the world right now and be discouraged. The news, to put it mildly, looks bleak, which is why I wanted to start today's show with hope. 
Claire Elizabeth Williams is the co-founder and CEO of Foundations for Social Change, a charitable organization whose mission is to advance social change through evidence-based research and innovation. She is the driving force behind the New Leaf Project, North America's first direct giving pilot with people experiencing homelessness, which has made an impact on the global stage. A top 25 Women of Influence Award winner and one of 21 founders to watch in 2020, Claire joins me today to share more about her mission. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thanks, Candice. It's lovely to be here. I have to tell you, I've read uh, about your project in one of my psychology textbooks uh, initially. So I love the whole concept of what you're doing. So let's start with what do you explain how this works? Yeah, so my co-founder and I were really just sitting with the question of how do we bring social innovation and meaningful risk-taking to um, the homelessness space? Um, We see an increasing number of people who are visibly homeless in our communities across Canada. So I live in Vancouver, but I'm from Ottawa. So visiting back east a lot and just seeing people, especially on Rideau Street, more and more visibly homeless. And we got to thinking, you know, how do we change up how we support people and look to the global south and saw the power of direct cash transfers and thought it was time to start something like that here in Canada. So how does that work then? How do you get cash into the hands of people who need it? Yeah, so we um, gave 50 people a one-time cash gift of $7,500, and then we followed them over a course of a year, collecting data from them to understand if this is an intervention that could really support a subset of the homeless population. So I think one of the problems to date is that um, people view all people experiencing homelessness as the same. They're kind of this amalgamous blob of quote unquote, homeless people, but they're actually not. They're individuals, just like in the general population. And so what works for one person might not work for another. And we truly believe that for a subset of the population where a financial barrier is the biggest obstacle for them to exit homelessness, this cash transfer could be life-changing and transformative. And we saw that that was the case. Do you think the pandemic has increased empathy My hope is that it has, yeah, you know, back in March last year, all of a sudden we had this um, rapid and radical change in circumstances where people were facing um, layoffs, job loss, possibly homelessness because they couldn't afford to pay for their rent at no fault of their own. And that is often what happens to people who are experiencing homelessness. I think there's this cultural myth that people in homelessness or in poverty have caused their circumstances, that it's a fault of their own. But I think the pandemic shows actually know that life life happens. um, And sometimes it's not as a result of the decisions that you've made. And on top of that, hey, wouldn't a cash transfer be really helpful right now to get you through that that point of crisis? Yeah. And there's this whole idea, you know, as well in Canada, we, we labor under a lot of myths in Canada, you know, that we have this great safety net and it's impossible to be in this situation unless you've made it so. So do you want to break down some of those? Yeah, and I think the pandemic has done a great job of shining a light on the gaping holes in our social safety net. You know, I think what we have in Canada is good and there is massive room for improvement. I think people who are living um, in comfort just have no idea what it's like to live in poverty in Canada, to experience homelessness. You know, in terms of income assistance, those rates haven't gone up in decades. So in British Columbia, people are getting $710 a month, three. 175 of that has to go towards shelter. So I don't know about you, Candace, but I would have a hard time exiting homelessness on $300 a month. You know, that money has to go towards food, um, towards getting, you know, clothes, like just the daily expense of living. So I think it's quite naive of us to think that our social safety net can really lift people out of the most extreme forms of poverty and that we do need a bit of cash. Um, And that once, you know, some people have um, reported out to me in terms of partnership that people who didn't necessarily qualify for CERB, they applied for it, um, not knowing that they didn't qualify. And these were people within the the homeless system. And actually, they never saw them again, that they had moved on in their lives. So it just demonstrates that, you know, for a lot of people, they just need some cash to dig themselves out of their hole and move themselves forward. So what do you think then now? I mean, you're you're doing this now, you've you run this project. um, Where do you foresee your uh, your foundation going in the coming years? 
Great question. So we are planning an expansion project here in Vancouver that would disperse another 200 cash transfers. And that's simply to expand our evidence base. Our goal is to really take this work from pilot to policy. Um, in our eyes, the fastest way to amplify impact and scale this work is to have it embedded in Canada's social policy. Um, we're also planning an expansion project in Toronto that I'm really excited about. And I would love to bring this work to Ottawa, being my hometown, um, because I think there's different lessons learned from each of the different cities across Canada, very different geographies, very different um, pressures, externalities, and complex factors in each of those cities. But ultimately, our goal is to hand this off to policymakers and say, here, this works. We've proved it out for you. Um, we need to radically reform Canada's social policy. It's just not working. Where does the money then that you are giving people to uh, lift themselves out of this situation, where does that come from? So we were lucky in our um, early days when I was working at my kitchen table with no funding going, how in the world are we going to make this a reality? We got half a million dollars from the federal government. We were successful on a grant. So that really gave us um, just some wind in our sails. It allowed us to hire some people. And then I raised the rest of the money, another $1.5 million from um, innovative and forward-thinking foundations across Canada, as well as um, individual donors. So there's a real sense, I think, of donor fatigue, especially in the homelessness space, to keep on putting money into these approaches that are giving us mediocre um, impact. And I think there's a real willingness to step into the space of meaningful risk taking and make a direct impact in people's lives. And we see this more so with this growing endorsement of universal basic income and just other ways of redistributing wealth throughout society. Okay, I want to talk about one last thing then, because I think this is a big one. I think a lot of people, when they look at homelessness, they have this, this idea in their head, oh, if I give them money, it will go towards A, B, or C. Yeah. Now, that's, I think that's a myth. Where, where does this money go? What, do you track it full circle from the time it lands in the person's hand to how it goes back into the economy? Yeah. Um, so thank you for asking that question, Candace. I think it's really, really important because that's the most common refrain when I tell people about our project is that people living in homelessness or poverty are going to, quote unquote, waste the money on drugs, alcohol and tobacco. So our project was run as a randomized control trial. So rigorous scientific um, framework and a lot of data collection. And our work shows that actually there's a reduction in spending on drugs, alcohol and tobacco by 39%. So actually the opposite happens because people don't need to self-medicate anymore. They're moving into a place of stability in their lives. They're spending their money on getting new clothes, on rent. Um, people also, so we saw increased food security across our cash group, um, that they're using that money to get their car back on the road. For a lot of folks, they need a car to return to work. So just like you said, it's a myth. Um, these are insidious stereotypes that are embedded into our public policy, into our literature, into films, um, and they're just not right. And I think they're inherently counterproductive to any progress we want to make towards the Canada that I think we all believe in. I really love how you are combining the entrepreneurial spirit, the scientific approach with charity. You're really, you're bringing together the best of all worlds through this project. Um, so what, where do you see this in a year and uh, where do you see it uh, in two years? Yeah, in a year, we will have run, fingers crossed, fundraising dependent um, to success, two more successful direct cash transfer projects. And then I would love to just hand this off and start innovating in another space. There's a great need with youth aging out of care. Um, and I think direct cash transfers could be a really powerful intervention for them. A lot of people who end up experiencing homelessness are youth aging out of care because they don't have that um, network of support wrapped around them. So I think there's a lot of populations that could really benefit from a targeted direct cash transfer. And we're open to working with other partners to innovate in spaces that perhaps their mandate and mission doesn't allow them to. We're willing to take that risk on for them and try drive forward these evidence-based approaches um, to creating social change in Canada. I really love this. I think you actually are onto a global movement as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I really want to follow along. So please come back uh, and keep us in the loop of how this progresses. But in the meantime, if people want to volunteer with you, if they want to help, how can they do that? They can head over to our website, which is forsocialchange.org, F-O-R socialchange.org. And we look forward to hearing from you. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Candace.
Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. One million women across Canada are self-employed, and during this pandemic, it's been an ongoing challenge to stay inspired. My next guest wants to help. Vivian Kay is the founder and CEO of Kinky Curly Yaki, a premium textured hair extension brand for Black women that she bootstrapped to over $6 million in revenue. Her presence and genuine desire to continuously learn and grow while keeping it real quickly made her a personality who transcended the title of founder and CEO. Today, Vivian helps entrepreneurs from diverse and unconventional backgrounds use their awesomeness and unique capabilities to confidently build the business of their dreams. Welcome to what she said, Vivian. Thank you for having me. I want to immediately jump into one of your messages, which is you can do the Chad things. What do you mean by that? (laughs) Well, you know, it sort of goes back to my um, what would Chad do? So it's one of those mantras that I sort of have in my purse. I have it in my bra and I just sort of whip it out whenever I need a huge dose of encouragement. So first of all, Chad isn't a, isn't a specific person. It's just, it's more of an energy, a mood an attitude. Um, it's not meant to bash men or meant to diminish anyone's accomplishments. So what would Chad do? And the big things is really just helping you to um, immediately dismiss any self-limiting beliefs that pop into your head right? Like women are notorious for not applying for jobs because they're only, you know, 60% qualified or even 80% qualified, right? Whereas men, they have zero qualifications and they're going after things and they're doing big things, right? They're becoming prime ministers. They're becoming presidents. They're becoming CEOs of things they have no business doing. Meanwhile, you're struggling over whether or not, you know, you should apply for that job, your dream job, because you only have four out of the five qualifications. So what would Chad do is to help you push past those boundaries and do those big Chad things. I I love that. So let's talk about a little bit about um, success in business then, because I think a lot of people figure they try and they fail and they give up. What is your view on failure? Failure, the road to success is paved with failure, right? Um, In fact, if you're not failing at something, then you're probably not doing it right or you're not doing, you're not doing it properly. Right. Um, so I wouldn't see like we need to not think that, OK, if you failed, that you are a failure. You are not failing. Being, a, you know, failing at something is not a, a personality trait. Right. It's an event. So same as success. Success isn't a personality trait. It's something that happens. Right. Because you have a goal in mind. You reach it. Success. OK, now what? Right. So I think we need to like what I like to do is I like to change the narrative as to what success actually means. It can be something as simple as getting out of your bed in the morning. That's a success. Right. I would say right now that is absolutely a success. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And it can be as big as, you know, becoming the CEO of, you know, of a, a billion dollar company. Right. But I think people need to realize that in order to get to that success, in order to get to the top of the mountain, there there are going to be failures. And that's OK. So women then often, you know, they they go into business and they look for role models such as yourself and they try to become that person. What would you say to them uh, when it comes to, you know, um, owning their business and owning their identity. Well, girl, you can't be me and I cannot be you. So I would strongly suggest, you know, because you're doing yourself a huge disservice here is that you got to do it like you. You can't do it like me. You are a unique person with a unique set of experiences and, um, you know, life and, and all that jazz. So don't set out to be like anyone. Set your own path. Create your own foundation. Create your own blueprint, your own footprints, because nobody can duplicate that. And the world doesn't need any more carbon cookie cutter, you know, everything the same. We need you as you are, warts and all. 
I love that you say that because I think there's this perception that people need to be perfect if they're going to put themselves out there in a public spotlight, that they must have this sort of perfect um, persona they're presenting all the time. That's exhausting. Oh my gosh. So exhausting. And aren't, we, aren't you tired already? <laughs> why would you, why would you add that extra layer of, of, of pressure that you don't need? You've been doing this for a while and I realize, you know, we, we, we were looking at everything now through a pandemic lens. What has been the biggest struggle you've seen for women? Honestly, it's showing up. It's showing up as themselves and getting started because, you know, now we got time. So now we're on social media looking at people's perfect lives and looking at, you know, perfect circumstances and all that jazz. Well, girl, like that is not what you want to emulate. You want to be yourself. The most authentic people that you should be stumbling upon will show you everything like warts and dirty shirts and, you know, messy hair, all that stuff. And not for, you know, not for show, but that's just how they show up, period. Like, I know that's how I like to show up. So, you know, I, I want to say it's it's trying to be perfect and, and getting started. You don't need to start. You don't need to have a, you know, you're not starting a bank. Okay. You just need to get start and start where you are. Start with what you have. Start with what you know. I promise you, you'll learn along the way. Amazing. I want people to be able to connect with you, Vivian, because I, I love your message. I love everything about your website. So please tell people where they can find you. I am an absolute pleasure to follow on Instagram. <laughs> so you can find me on it's Vivian K I T S V I V I A N K A Y E on all the platforms, but Instagram's my jam. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Vivian. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, all I can say is what a amazing lineup of strong female leads this week. Right? Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. It's what a week. It's really intense. Holy cow. Let's start with the Underground Railroad. Yeah. It immediately drew me in, not just because of the intensity of the story, the history behind it, but the cinematography looks beautiful in this. Oh, it's, well, this is Barry Jenkins. He's the director and his stuff, he did Moonlight, if you remember that a few years ago. There's mysticism in his work, always. And the young woman here, uh, who, is the, who is the protagonist, she asks the questions that his characters always ask. She looks in the in the camera and says, uh, who, "Who are you?" <laughs> and it just honestly, it just gives me chills thinking about it. Um, but it's fine on its own if you haven't seen any Barry Jenkins. So this slave girl witnesses atrocities on this plantation where she works in Georgia. Somebody tells her about the Underground Railroad. And there was no railroad per se, but one of his things, Barry Jenkins things is, is mysticism. So she goes underground and the steam train comes to her underground, takes her up north and she has a different life. But it's not over with yet. Uh, honestly, it's it's very hard to watch at times. The crimes against black people and the N-word is used constantly. But what a message. What a message. And of course, this is based on um, the Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Colson Whitehead. So, you know, there's a lot of interest in it. OK, yeah, so that's on that's on Amazon Prime. Yes, I, I really want to talk about Jean Smart for a second, because is she just like enjoying a, a second coming of her career? Yes, she She's is. Delightful. She's delightful. She was in she was in um, a couple of things lately. And this is another one, a totally different side of her character. Now, I'm not sure. Maybe she's working hard. Her husband died not that long ago. So I th maybe she's put herself into her work, but she plays a Las Vegas uh, uh, stand-up comedian in residency and she's really powerful and wealthy and she's got just you know a brutal personality <laughs> but she's she's a success however her manager wants to replace her Fridays and Saturdays with a beatbox band to get younger people in 
and she decides she needs to change up her routines a little bit. No one's ever written for her. It's always been her own, but she hires this young girl who is a really strong personality as well, who was canned from a show for a, a ill-considered tweet and her career was ruined. So the two of them joined forces. It ain't easy, <laughs> but it is, it's powerful. It's about women working together, you know, Standing up to the man. <laughs> but we, we can relate to that, Anne. We work together. Oh, can we? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, so that is, uh, that's on HBO Max, correct? Yes, it is. And that's, sure a, that's a fa- fabulous one. Okay, there's, we, I want to get to two more here. Yes. Profile. Oh, I read God. this story oh. when it first happened. So let's talk about it because this, oh. holy cow, this is intense. I can't tell you my reaction watching this. I was just floored and it, it gave me nightmares. I couldn't sleep. It's about a young woman, a journalist in Britain who poses as a disgruntled uh, girl who wants to um, have some excitement in her life. So she wants to join ISIS. She's posing. So this fellow who is just stunningly gorgeous and really charismatic, this ISIS guy who's, who's uh posted videos of himself murdering people. She connects with him. It's all for an article. Um, and <laughs> she, over the course of, 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 the, of it, she kind of falls for him. You wonder, what on earth are you doing? And she heads off to Amsterdam to, towards him. Honestly, your, your, your heart's in your mouth this whole time. The performances are out of this world. The story is you couldn't make it up. As you say, it's based on a true story. You could not make this up. So it's about her creating this false profile. And uh, wow. It's an, it's an intense ride. Where is profile airing? TVOD. Okay, fantastic. And the last one I, I want to talk about is Beans because what oh. a performance. It was a big hit at TIFF last year. It won a few awards. Uh, three women, a mother, a single mother, and her two daughters. Her teen daughter disappears. The little daughter suddenly has to face this, the realities of life. She was a happy-go-lucky little girl. And then in order to launch a search, because the police aren't taking any steps, they have to go to Montreal to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Center. Well, on their way back home to Oka, there, there's a blockade, a racist blockade. And then the little girl sees this. Just gives me chills thinking about it. Uh, anyway, so it is coming out. Beans is not to be missed. So many good things this week. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it was actually really. Uh, I always love when you send me the previews, previews and your thoughts ahead of this. It was just so nice to see all these really rich, meaty roles for women. It was, I was almost cheering at my desk this week. It was just fantastic. So, and you've got all of these and more available at what she said, talk.com. And we'll see you again soon. See you again soon. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. I know I'm not alone when I say that cleaning can be therapy. The higher my stress levels go, the cleaner my house gets, which is why I'm so excited about my next guest. Melissa Maker is host of Clean My Space YouTube channel, founder of Clean My Space, a housekeeping surface based in her native Toronto, and best-selling author of Clean My Space, the secret to cleaning better, faster, and loving your home every day. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Hi, thanks for having me. I can't believe I'm excited to talk about cleaning, but it's genuinely something I actually enjoy because I feel like it's a sense of control in my life. Do you get that from people? I get that from people. I don't get that for myself. Uh, I just want to be perfectly clear, Candace. I hate cleaning. And that's the whole reason why I got into the cleaning space in the first place. I felt like you know, I could help people live in a more calm, happy space, because ultimately, I think we all feel that way when our homes are clean. 
but I would just help the people who hated doing the cleaning part actually get there by having a cleaning business. And that's what I started back in 2006. Okay. So, but you also, so that's what you do in Toronto. You have a cleaning uh, service uh, that you help people, but you also have a YouTube channel where you provide cleaning tips for people. Um, And so this is obviously for people who hate cleaning and want to stay on top of it. And I'm sure you have people like me who follow along for great advice uh, when they really want to get into something. Um, So how, how long ago did you start your YouTube channel? Yeah. So we started making YouTube content in 2011 and the, we is my husband and I, he was the one that kind of encouraged me to make YouTube videos because he said it would really help Google push our website ranking higher for our cleaning service business. But then the YouTube channel kind of took off and became its own thing. And my whole goal was just to help people who struggled with cleaning, who didn't know how to clean But of course, over the years, we've drawn different audiences. We have people like you who love cleaning and want all the tips and they want to hear all the things. And then we have people who hate cleaning and find it really challenging and just want help to do things a little bit better. So we kind of talk to everyone when it comes to cleaning. I really love that you said your husband helped you with this because you are very clear on this, that cleaning is not just a woman's job. It's not. Uh, And in fact, you know, our content is decidedly gender neutral. I mean, you see me, of course, I'm a woman, but cleaning is not a woman's job. It's everyone's job in the house. I think that's a very outdated mentality. I think our kids have to learn how to clean. I have a three-year-old and we try to give her age appropriate cleaning tasks and we try our best to teach her good habits. But also, you know, my husband actually likes cleaning more than I do. And he's, He's the one who will tidy and stress clean and do all of that stuff. So I never, you know, in our content, I never want to alienate anyone. And at the same time, I want our content to promote inclusivity and to to help people understand that it's everyone's job, not just one person's job. All right. Let's talk about cleaning products because that's a multi-million dollar business. Uh, Do you have like recommendations or are you somebody who likes to stick with basics? Yeah. So I, in my own house, I would say we have like a 60, 40 split. 60% of our cleaning products are homemade products with with things like vinegar, baking soda, and dish soap as the main ingredients mixed in spray bottles with water. And we have tons of information on our website, our YouTube channel, Instagram account, all about those recipes. They're so inexpensive. That stuff never goes out of style. It's easy to find. And then the other 40% is specialty store-bought products. You know, there are like laundry detergent, for example. I'm never going to make my own laundry detergent. I'll never be able to make something that would get my clothes as clean as a store-bought product. So know where you can splurge, know where you can save. Do you have a favorite when it comes to something like that? Like, do you... um... Are you loyal? It's funny. I I find I'm brand loyal to Tide, something I've used for, you know, 25 years. I've never tried anything else. Um, Is that, do you find that sort of, they all do the same job or are you brand loyal to certain brands? Well, I'll ask you a question. Why do you think you're loyal to Tide? I think because my mother used it. Okay. And that's the answer everyone gives. And that is precisely why I think Tide has done so well over the years, because we all grew up with that same orange box. And like, every time I have this conversation with someone, they give me the exact same answer. My mom also used Tide. So it's one of those things where, you know, you can try a variety of different products, but at the same time, if you use something, you know it, you love it and it works, why waver? Exactly. All right. I want to talk about MIAs. Uh, What is that? Yeah. So MIAs is a concept that I came up with uh, quite a few years back when I was putting my book together and it stands for important areas. Like I said, I'm someone that hates cleaning. So I'm not walking around my house all day, just cleaning all the things, but I know that there are areas in my home that are really important to me that are clean. So like my kitchen, my bathroom, my front entryway. If those are messy, I get really bothered. But like this morning I was doing Pilates in my living room and I peeked under the couch and there was dust and some Play-Doh and like a few toys for my daughter. 
And I shrugged it off and I kept doing my thing and I made a mental note, like one day in the future, I'll clean that, (laughs) but that's not so important to me. So MIAs, I think are really crucial for everyone who's trying to manage their time with everything that's going on today. Just figure out what are your most important areas. And then those are the ones to focus the majority of your cleaning efforts on. And then the other things that don't bother you as much like the stuff under my couch, you can get to at some point, you just don't have to stress about it right now. What about clean as you go then? You you are a big um, proponent of cleaning as you go. Uh, so what does that look like for you on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a great example. I'm sitting here in my office and I have two cups, something for a hot drink and something for water. And when I leave my office, I will take those with me and go up to the kitchen. So clean as you go just means your hands are always full. You're taking things from point A to point B so that clutter doesn't build up. If I look behind me and I see my garbage is full, I'll pull, I'll just pull that out and bring it up with me. The next time I go upstairs, my office is in the basement. So this is just that mentality, you know, take things with you as you go. If you spill something, wipe it up while your water is boiling for your tea, you know, unload the dishwasher. I did that just this morning. Like there are little things that you can do to keep your house in decent shape, you know, without having to carve out time for a marathon clean. Yeah. And, and those things too become very routine as you begin to do them. You don't even think about it. It's just second nature. Uh, when you said that about, you know, emptying the dishwasher while your water's boiling, you know, I do that as well in the morning um, while I'm waiting. Um, so those little things become sort of routine in our life. I want to talk about uh, understanding PTTs. What does that mean? So PTTs is another concept that I came up with actually when I was putting my training program together for my cleaning business many, many years ago. Uh, And PTT stands for products, tools, and techniques. And I'm a firm believer. So I went into the cleaning world, not knowing a thing about cleaning. I started my cleaning business and I was like, all right, I have to break down how to clean a house going in with no formal knowledge about how to do it. So when I thought about the key components of cleaning, it came down to understanding the products, the tools, and the techniques, and then each job that needed to be done around the house. Now, it sounds like a lot of information, but once you think about it or you sort of break it down room by room, it actually becomes very straightforward. So once you know how to clean a baseboard and you understand the PTTs, the products, the tools, and the techniques, You will never have to relearn that or struggle or waste time again. Whenever I'm talking to my audience, I'm always, or training my staff for that matter, I'm always encouraging them to think about the PTTs, understand those products, tools, and techniques so that you can learn that job. You can be the most efficient, get the best results in the least amount of time, and then move on and do more fun things in your day. Exactly. And just not everybody's like me who finds cleaning enjoyable. So I understand that. I want people to be able to find you, Melissa. So where can they connect with you? You know, you can find us on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is called Clean My Space. Our Instagram account, our book, our website, it's all called Clean My Space. Uh, And then you can also find me on Instagram at Melissa Maker. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Melissa. Thank you. pretty green i'm gonna make a lot of money then i'm gonna quit this crazy scene i wish i had a river much has been said about work-life balance during covid but the focus is mostly on individual effort leaving parents primarily mothers to feel it is up to them to figure out how to manage the impossible demands of doing their jobs homeschooling parenting and managing the home Anita Grace is a postdoctoral researcher with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University in Ottawa. Together with Linda Duxbury, she is engaged in an ongoing research project about work-family balance during COVID, studying how Gen Xers are managing the competing demands of jobs and parenting. Worth noting, Anita is also a single mom to to two girls. Welcome to the show, Anita. Thank you so much. So the first thing you want people to know is that the mommy guilt is real, right? Absolutely. I'm hearing that a lot from women saying, I'm failing at both. I'm failing at being a parent. I'm failing at my job. And that is, it's really clear that women feel that the demands on them are so big. And yet we are so 
programmed through everything to take it on ourselves, to believe that we're failing, that we're being the bad parent and not to say this is a pandemic and the expectations to do a full-time job and to be a full-time caregiver, educator in everything else that we're managing is, is simply untenable. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's funny because I've been having these conversations for so long now that, and for myself personally, it's required a major mindset shift uh, because nobody has handed any of us a handbook on this. Mm-hmm. I've had to let go and say, if something didn't get done today, oh, well, you know, and that's hard to do. It is because we're so programmed to, to do it all. Absolutely. We really are. There's, you know, people who study sociologists have studied these sort of ideal, the perfect parent, you know, we see that all the time, and the, especially on mothers to be this perfect mother and to do enrichment activities during this pandemic with your child baking and crafting and all this. And then there's also though the pressure of the ideal worker, this worker who's available all the time, who's always engaged, who's responsive, who's performing. So you have these two ideals that have high demands on people. And that pressure is a lot on us. And it's very difficult to push back. And I would argue that to say that we should just push back ourselves, to say that we need to let go of some of those expectations, we need to you know, give ourselves a break, is not enough. I think there needs to be more responsibility put on employers, on government to say those expectations need to be reduced. It's oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm my own boss. So, I mean, I only have to answer to me, but yes, I absolutely get it. I understand that, that this needs to come from higher up. It needs to, you know, it needs to be done by organizations and government. Let's talk about some of the things women are sacrificing though. What are you learning about that? I mean, women are sacrificing self-care. Absolutely. That's one of the first things to go time, me time, time for myself, time to exercise, time to have a time alone, get outside, do those things. But women are also giving up sleep, which is really worrying because sleep is so important to our ability to function, to cope, to manage our, you know, to manage all this stress. And women are sacrificing their careers. That is absolutely clear. The literature just keeps showing up, showing up that women are leaving the workforce. They're stepping back. They're stepping away from responsibilities and the long-term impacts of that are scary. Yeah, I mean, we're, that is that is a running theme on this show is uh, is the sort of the impact of this uh, um, virus. And, you know, one of those we've talked about, we'll be talking about coming up is coronasomnia, which a lot of women are suffering right now as well. Um, so it's not enough, you say, then to, you know, just focus on women finding balance for themselves. So how do you, you know, any suggestions for women um, to actually affect some change that's going to matter? Sure. Well, I think one to recognize that all those tips that you might read online is directing that imperative at you to find that balance, to manage, to be better organized. And I think that first step to take that step back and say, wait a second, who's being responsible here? Is that, are you saying that's all on me to be responsible on this? So I think recognizing that, giving ourselves that mind shift, like you talked about, But then I think, you know, it was really promising to see in the federal budget that just came out that Christian Freeland is pushing for this $10 day daycare. We need to put the pressure on provincial governments now to say we need to make this actionable. This needs to happen. This isn't just a woman's issue. We need to make sure that this isn't framed as, oh, something nice. We'll give this to women. No, this is an economic issue. This is a massive issue. This is gender equality. This is access to employment. This is our economic recovery from the pandemic. And so we need to make sure that we start mobilizing because otherwise, because this is going to require that kind of large scale effort is going to require provincial cooperation. So I think now we need to push for that. And I think it's worth noting, too, that this is this is a woman tabling a budget. And that was worth celebrating uh, because this is what we get when we have a woman in politics who is is looking out for everybody, not just women, who understands that feminism is equality for all. So it was a wonderful sort of celebratory moment this week to see that budget tabled. Um, If people want to connect with you and find out more about your work, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at AnitaGrace11. You can also look for me at uh, Sprott School of Business at Carleton. There's a page there. You can find me as a postdoc researcher there. All right, wonderful. Anita, thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Thank you so much.
Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Moving to a new country where you aren't yet familiar with the language, the customs, or the culture can be an anxiety-inducing experience. Do all that under the umbrella of a global pandemic, and these feelings are amplified even more. Anila Yen is the president and chief executive officer of the Center for Newcomers, a not-for-profit charitable organization that provides Calgary immigrants and economically disadvantaged individuals a solid foothold in Canada. Anila joins me today to share the pressure COVID has had on immigrants and how the Center for Newcomers is helping support new Canadians right now. Welcome to the show, Anila. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So let's talk about what the pressure COVID has put on all of this, because I can't imagine immigrating being an easy experience to begin with. COVID has really just highlighted the systemic issues like racism, misogyny, homophobia that are already quite prevalent in our society. And, um, you know, with, with being newcomers, then you also have those additional other challenges that you're facing along with, you know, uh, being isolated from your family because you can't even go back home to, to visit at the moment. And maybe you don't really know that many people here and you're still looking for a job. And so there's so many different challenges that, that people that are new to Canada are facing um, along with what the general population is facing. How fast did you notice this, uh, like when the pandemic hit? How quick was it before you noticed these disparities coming through? Immediate. It was immediate. Um, a lot of it, of course, was related to the fact that, um, you know, for, for people that are, are low income or people that don't speak English or, you know, those kind of situations, the only way to communicate, especially right at the beginning of COVID and even now, was online right, was through a device. If you don't have access to proper um, internet or a proper device to be able to do that or speak English and, uh, you know, know how to access that information, it was really, really difficult. And you could see the disparity come out really quickly. Can we talk about language for a second? Because I feel like this must be a massive hurdle for people trying to navigate these systems uh, with without having the language quite yet. So how are you helping people manage with that? You know, we know that access to first language services is crucial and is a right for all Canadians, right? And so uh, prior to this, and, and even in, in a time of crisis, a stopgap measure always is, of course, you can get an interpretation line. But one of the things that we've been able to do as a collective and a collaborative of organizations is come together and create a multilingual line. So very similar to um, crisis lines that are across Canada that started in Calgary, like 211. Um, we have a multilingual uh, crisis line that people that are affected by COVID can call and they can speak to a cultural broker. So somebody, you know, from their own community, somebody from their own culture um, that can speak to them in first language and be able to provide them with all the referrals that they need for anything that they need during COVID. Have you been really struggling trying to raise funds, uh, find volunteers with so many not-for-profits competing for those same dollars right now? You know, we've been really, really lucky in the sense that because we chose to, to work as a collaborative, we have 17 core organizations that are working together along with over 100 other organizations. That built the strength for us to be able to collectively um, request funding uh, for this specific response as the, as the Calgary East Zone Newcomers Collaborative and, and part of the Calgary COVID table to be able to get the funding that we required um, from, you know, organizations like the Calgary Foundation and the United Way. And of course, our, our all three levels of government, our government of Alberta, City of Calgary, and um, especially through Immigration Refugee Citizenship Canada to be able to get that, that core funding that allows us to, to be able to do the work that we're doing. So we've been really lucky and we've seen, especially when it comes to food security and culturally you know, comforting food hampers, faith-based organizations, uh, small businesses, individuals are all donating food um, you know, and, and being able to come out and volunteer and assist and deliver those food hampers to people that are isolating. And that has made all the difference, the entire community coming together. I really love that you mentioned um, food, comfort food I think it's so important and something that we often overlook. We generally think food is food, but there's such an emotional attachment to food 
for people. Um, so has that been uh, a, a huge comfort for people during this to receive these baskets? Absolutely. To have food that you're used to eating that you would get, at, you know, go and buy for yourself at the grocery stores has been immensely important to people's sense of dignity and people's sense of, of um, you know, not having to worry about that as well, you know, in, in, in during a crisis situation. And it's really not that difficult, you know, to when when the community is asking, you know, what can we donate to say, please donate rice and lentils more so than pasta and, you know, and marinara sauce, for example. Um, it, it hasn't really been too big of a, a, a leap for, for people in our community to say, oh, okay, that's easy. I can do that. You know, I, I, I can literally imagine the feeling that must bring people. I mean, we're all sort of feeling that need for comfort food right now. Uh, so for somebody who is feeling, you know, especially isolated, this must be so wonderful. I, I want people to be able to connect with you and find out more. Uh, you were named as one of uh, Canada's top 25 most influential women. Uh, I think you're incredible. So where can people find out more about you and your organization? Yeah, we are on all of the social media channels, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Insta. Um, you can find us at YYC Newcomers um, or Calgary Center for Newcomers. Our website is uh, centerfornewcomers.ca. And you can find me personally at Anila in YYC on Twitter. Anila, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Enjoy. Always remember me. Don't you know that